You are listening to Original Remake. This is a podcast where we discuss and compare original film and its remake. Or sometimes films with similar concepts, because just like Hollywood, we are that unoriginal. So this being a movie podcast, uh, yeah, let's get to it. Hi, welcome back to the um, Original Remake. Uh, we're going to discuss The Room and Disaster Artist. Oh, hi, Mike. That's actually pretty good. Oh, thank um, you. Thank you. I think I probably wouldn't be able to do that particular accent, wherever <laughs> Whatever that's it is. from. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would maybe be able to pull off the actual like Louisiana accent that he insists that it is. I would be closer to that than whatever whatever it is he's actually doing there. But I'm not going to attempt that. I don't want to offend any listeners that we have in New Orleans or anything. But, yeah, so we're, we're going to talk about – uh, the room and the disaster artist, as you've already alluded to, with that uh, hideous accent. Thank you. You don't know how long I've been practicing and waiting to to pull that <laughs> joke. Oh, hi, Mike. So, uh, yeah, with the recent release of the disaster artist, we decided to kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of go back and revisit the room, I suppose, and kind of compare with the disaster artist and talk about any comparisons. Uh, the room uh, is a independent film which was directed. Uh, produced by, written by, starring Tommy Wiseau uh, as the um, the lead here as a character named Johnny, who is I don't know if he's a banker or somebody with a lot of money. Uh, this this script of the room isn't very well. I mean, it's, it's not in depth. Um, it's, it's a very basic story, which I, I don't even know what the story is to be honest with you. But we got <laughs> Greg Sestero, uh, who plays Mark. Uh, he is actually the author of the book, The Disaster Artist, of which the that movie is uh, based on. Juliet Danielle uh, plays Lisa, the um, the fiance or the future wife of Johnny, I suppose. Um, Philip Haldeman as Denny. He's a a, a neighbor of Johnny. Kind of treats him as a son, kind of a weird kid, uh, a druggie. I couldn't even tell that he was a druggie until the scene with the uh, the drug dealer. Age is undefined when it comes to the Danny character. Because I, when I was watching it with my wife, we were both like, how old is he supposed to be? And I was glad to see that brought up in The Disaster Artist by the, the actor. The uh, Josh Hutcherson character playing the actor actually questions that. So glad I was not alone there. Oh yeah, I mean, I did too. Because then you have the drug scene. You're like, okay, how old is he? That young that he can actually go to a drug dealer? Many, many questions. So uh, gotta start him young, Peter. Start, start him young. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, it's a good point. Like, gotta start him young. But but with this movie, um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to kind of summarize it. Uh, uh, Johnny is. I don't know. I guess he starts to suspect that uh, his fiance or future wife, Lisa is having an affair uh, with his friend Mark. Uh, Johnny, He's a little slow with that, too. A little slow with his suspicions. Just a little bit. Uh, everyone seems to think that he's actually a pretty nice guy, too, this Johnny, uh, even uh, his future mother-in-law. But uh, Who's Johnny, dying of breast cancer. Dying of breast cancer. Doesn't come But back. doesn't seem too concerned <laughs> about it, either. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, and also, he starts uh, recording her conversations over the phone, and I don't know what room this movie's really about. The, uh, there's a football throne in tuxedos. <laughs> I, well, you have to. I mean, that's just that's just how men bond with each other. I mean, clearly they didn't have the proper equipment, so tuxedos was the next uh, alternative. Um, and then uh, they have a surprise birthday party for Johnny, where he kind of throws throws goes crazy and 
At the end of the movie, he shoots himself because uh, he thinks the world has betrayed him. I want to uh, just sort of clarify to our listeners that that's not a spoiler because that's in the trailer for The Disaster Artist, which you probably have already heard because I don't know with this one in the editing – uh, if I'm going to play too many clips from the room, because I feel like you can play clips from the disaster artists of them doing reenacting those scenes, and it's really damn close. So that's that's going to be my my first question to you when we get into the discussion. But the disaster artist is James Franco's film. He said in interviews that he was like born to do this movie. So apparently a room super fan. He is playing Tommy, so he's going to be our lead in this behind the scenes. How did this get made? Uh, film. And his brother Dave Franco is playing Greg. So you're seeing the two brothers on screen uh, playing this friendship that is the the genesis, the origin of the room. When these two outsiders in Hollywood who are struggling decide to make their own movie, and it will go on to become, I guess, a cult hit in the room. It, it, it took a while, but uh, has a lot of fans. You, you have people like uh, Seth Rogen in this film, Allison Brie, and even at the uh, start of the film. Uh, you see Kristen Bell, Kevin Smith. Uh, the way they open it is basically just speaking about the room as fans uh, before we get into the the actual film, the the where we see these people making it. So uh, a lot of big celebrities in this. Zac Efron makes kind of a funny cameo in this in this film as the the drug dealer, kind of uh, later on. So uh, yeah, so I'll get to my first question because I think, as I said, there's a lot of fans of this. Uh, and I am not with the room. I had never, I did not watch it until the night before watching the disaster artist. And that was, I didn't feel like I needed to, to enjoy the disaster artist because I think, you know, as you open this podcast with the, the, the whole high thing, there were a lot of jokes that I'd already heard before or like sort of reference almost like a meme on the, the internet. Um, but I did watch it for the purpose of this podcast and, uh, I don't, know if i enjoyed it quite as much as the celebrity fans uh did but what about you what's your experience with the room before we get into the disaster artist uh last not this last summer but the summer before that uh i took a month off and i had uh, <laughs> to watch the room to, to watch the room. It, took, it took me the entire month to finish it um no i i had a few different podcasts uh do a takeover episode for me and the daily cringe they actually covered the room and that was the first time i had ever heard about it and so uh when they sent me their episode you know i listened to it uh l- listened to the episode to do any kind of um you know context uh, editing or whatever uh looking for bloopers, what have you, but just listening to them talk about the uh, the movie and how uh, David, um, you know, the host, he he actually coerced the entire group to to watch it at one point or another. And so they were, they were talking more so about that experience and, and then also some of the scenes, obviously. And I'm like, how bad can this movie really be? And I think I watched it, you know, shortly right after that, and I kind of live-tweeted it uh, as I went, and... It was um, it was really hard to get through, to be honest with you. And I have not watched it since. I watched a few clips, you know, to kind of refresh my memory for this review. And also, watching the Disaster Artist kind of brought some things back. But yeah, this this is the one that I can't. This movie I cannot recommend to people, and I I can put myself through watching it again. I, I ran into a buddy at the uh, the theater for the Disaster Artist, and. You know, let him know uh, that I had, I just watched the room, 
the previous night. Like I didn't have any prior experience and he was sort of uh, shocked that I had, I had not seen this thing that had been around for well over a decade. And I'll just admit, you know, I admitted to him and I guess to our listeners here that I'm not, I'm not one of those people. I watch a lot of movies and I know there is a segment, especially in the podcast community that like to do like bad movie podcasts and do the sort of mystery science theater thing, which I, I like. I used to watch that as a kid. Um, but I myself don't like to just watch bad movies. Like I would not want to be one of those podcasters because I don't, I don't really get a lot of enjoyment out of it. I guess it's more of like a, uh, comedic thing. Like if you're doing a comedy show about bad movies, but, um, you know, watching it with my wife, we didn't, we didn't finish it. We were just like, you know, I was like, you know, I'm tired. <laughs> like I think I get this. And, uh, as you said, there's a lot of, you can pretty much break this movie down to uh, Tommy. Like, there's, I, I looked up on YouTube and there's like these little ten minutes or compilations of like all of his best sort of weird moments. Um, and I, I think there is something to watching him because he's, you know, clearly he's a weird guy. And you've seen the disaster artist; he's he's very strange. And even the people that were close to him didn't really know too much about him by the end of this process. Like where he gets his money, where he's from. Uh, as you see in the film, he just has. He has a place in San Francisco, a place in L.A. He was able to finance the room, which was, what, five to six million is mm -hmm. what I read. Like a staggering – that's just a shocking amount for what's actually produced. Um, I, I guess I understand the allure of that character, and I think that's probably what I like the most about Disaster Artist is that James Franco makes him really interesting. So my biggest critique of the room is if he was in every scene, that might be watchable just because he's just – as you know, you did with your delivery. He just has a weird way of not only delivering his lines, but I guess just sort of thinking about the world. Like you said, like what is the room? What what is actually the story here? And I feel like what we see in the disaster artists is even like as Dave Franco plays Greg, even he doesn't really know. Like he's kind of trying to be supportive of his friend, but none of them really know what this movie's about, and they were in the damn thing. So um, yeah, I can't say I enjoyed the room. I enjoyed Tommy. But not the rest of it. Definitely the side characters I did not care at all about. Yeah, and it's it's funny that they even replaced like one of the the characters with a different actor too. I don't know if they gave him a different name. I I kind of forgot that. But um, I I don't know. I guess I'll I'll kind of take back my comment. I mean, I'm never gonna you know not watch the room again. I I would watch it in a group setting. You know, to kind of that's what my friend said. Yeah, he said I watched it the wrong way. Watching it with my wife, and my dog late at night. <laughs> where both of us were just staring at this, like not laughing. This is not funny. Maybe it is as in the, the disaster arts. Maybe it's meant to be seen with the group people pointing and laughing at the screen. I don't know. I still don't know if it'd work for me or not. I, I think so. I mean, the, uh, again, just to kind of point out the, the daily cringe covered it on my show and they, they watched it as a group. You know, I, I watched it by myself and I couldn't enjoy it. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's why I was live tweeting it, you know, because I, I just wanted to respond to somebody. Um, but trying to bring I, somebody in to yeah. uh, to experience this with you. But the disaster artist, I did watch at one of our local uh, indie theaters. It it was kind of crazy because um, they opened up early. I, I forget when they actually premiered uh, the movie at the theater, but it was playing every single day. You know, um, and they had, I don't know, five, six showings throughout the day. So it was already playing here, just our one theater. And I, I looked it up, but I missed Tommy Wiseau and Greg Cesaro, like by a few days. They were here promoting, oh, yeah, the room. And, um, a friend of my show, uh, Emily Olsh, you know, YouTuber there, uh, extraordinaire, uh, she actually got a picture with both Greg and Tommy. 
And so, um, I just, I just found out too late, but yeah, they were here. I don't know if they were here just for one day, but they, you know, they were doing autographs and they were, um, just doing, uh, promoting the room with, you know, disaster artists also being released. So really cool that they even came here to little old Portland. Do you, do you like that? Uh, I mean, clearly since they're promoting the film, uh, they approve of it. I did read one interview where Tommy was sort of disagreeing with, uh, the take on it. I think it's, it's in the disaster arts where, you know, in that version of events, he's making a very serious film, like an independent art film. And then when it becomes this comedy classic to people that's so bad, it's good. Uh, he switches gears and says that he intended it to be a comedy and he still, he still disagrees to a certain extent, like as far as like he, his intentions on making this film. But as you know, you said they're, they're supporting this movie. Um, and the one thing, the one concern I guess I had with it was, you know, James Franco's uh, admitted sort of super fan. I wondered if I was going to be able to enjoy the disaster artist without being a fan or being that knowledgeable of the room. And I actually think he really succeeds there. Like, I think you could watch this movie without seeing the room and be perfectly fine. Maybe there's, it's a little bit better. Um, although I will admit the audience I was with, I was afraid that I was just surrounded by room dorks because they were like, tittering they were like giggling at like every little thing at the start and i'm like oh man i don't want this to be like one big in joke like i'm watching something like it, it would be like watching the shining with like the room 237 people with all the weird theories and stuff mm. and um but it ended up ended up being pretty cool and i the, my favorite thing about the disaster artist is i did feel like james franco uh was very like forgiving and i guess very loving with the the characters this you know he was not just making fun of people for making a bad movie. I felt like he he understood that they were attempting to do something and it might not have worked out, but he never I didn't never feel like he was pointing and laughing at these guys. And maybe that's why they're supportive of it. But um that's that's probably my biggest compliment to the film is James Franco. Like it, it actually worked out this time that it was made by a, a fan. And I didn't feel like it was mean spirited like it could have been. Yeah, no, I I think you're um you know, I think you're right on about that. Uh, I, I think him being a super fan, he really wanted to kind of, I don't know, maybe not apologize for the room, but just kind of explain from an artistic standpoint. Like, you know, he his heart was in the right spot. You know, they they had this, um, you know, uh, bottom bottomless wealth of money, and you know, Tommy even bought the equipment when you usually rent it, and you know, the, uh, he really tried. And with Greg being this, uh acting partner of his you know they they really conjured up this idea just from bonding with one another and i actually watched the disaster artist with uh with my buddy john and he had never seen the room and actually has no intentions on watching it unless it's also in a group setting so we did mm -hmm. do like an instant reaction and he did enjoy uh the disaster artist and kind of to what you were saying with the audience snickering you know like in the beginning John was actually kind of like bothered by that. He's just like, yeah, cause he, cause he didn't get it. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, right. I, I think they're laughing more so at like, um, James Franco's, you know, characterization of Tommy. And I think he was, you know, spot on. And I just like how, you know, the inflections and, you know, the nod to the football, those were, you know, I, I think just inside jokes for the people who have seen the room. But, um, yeah, it didn't take away from John's enjoyment of watching the disaster artist not having seen the room. It's a difficult thing to do like a sort of a celebration of someone's work. And maybe it works for me because it's a celebration of a bad piece of work. Like, you know, you, you see a lot of 
uh, like biopics of like, you know, great musicians or actors. And eventually it's just like, it feels like just the greatest hits of like, look how awesome this guy was like, and as its own thing, I don't usually find that that interesting, uh, but here making a celebration of something that didn't work out. Um, I, I really like it because it's like, it's just about two guys who were trying to do something. And so every time, like there's a great scene where Judd Apatow is playing like a producer, basically, you know, playing, you know, like sort of a version of himself, like a powerful guy in the industry, which I'm sure he is. But, um, you know, he expresses that it will never happen for Tommy. And there, there is, I mean, there's sadness there, but there's a, it's comforting to know that it's like, you know, he did, he did end up making something that we're still talking about now. I mean, two guys on a podcast, guys, you know, who, um, had no interest in really watching the room. You know, he's made something that's a pop culture landmark in a way. And I, I, I think that that's a good thing to celebrate just the effort, even if it didn't work out entirely. Um, it is cool to see. So the, the disaster has actually made me kind of root for these people more so than the internet did, because whenever I heard about it from, you know, the internet's thing or these midnight showings of the room, I just, I always thought it was just sort of mean spirited just to like relive someone's like, you know, biggest artistic failure. And, I think James Franco actually swayed me the other way. I was like, hey, this is kind of a cool thing. You know, people enjoy it, even if they're laughing at it. It's kind of like the end of the film. It's like, did Hitchcock ever do that? No. All right. Well, you know, he's got he's got one up on Alfred Hitchcock. The probably the only thing is that he made something you can laugh at more. Yeah, I I just like seeing all the different things um, with Tommy. You know, in the process or the production of this movie, uh, the the whole deal about the the billboard. You know, I kind of looked in to that a little bit more for those that don't know apparently tommy paid to have that that one billboard which was his only advertisement up for five years and i think it was like five thousand a month just to have it up that just shows how much more money you know he had and he was just like well you know this is the only way people are going to go watch it it's like the this um billboard is never coming down and it became like an iconic thing yeah, like, in LA. like I mean, that, that would just be a weird thing to see every day because if you're advertising a movie that you can't actually watch in theaters, I I can see how the uh, you know the the sort of cult built up around this thing that it you know it became something like I gotta find out what that is. Yeah, the, uh, I'm not sure which character, but I was I saw something about um you know there's a little bit of influence of the talented Mr. Ripley, you know Matt Damon's character and Tommy Wiseau's uh, fascination with with uh, that actor and that movie. Um, but in the disaster artist, they actually kind of, it, it looks like they were watching, you know, an episode or a scene from a streetcar named Desire. I guess maybe it wasn't implied, but, you know, James Dean came up quite a bit. And I thought it's interesting that James Franco also played James Dean in like a TV movie. I just watched that. That's strange. Uh, a few weeks ago, like I'd, I'd oh. seen it when it came out on TNT, like, was that like around 2000? I mean, when he was... I saw I think the it was movie like pre- Yeah, it was a yeah. It was a long, long time ago, mm-hmm. and uh, I just, I just for some reason, I just got in the mood to to just watch it because I was, I was looking through James Franco's like IMDb list, and the man works a lot. Like, I mean, he he does a lot of and lately probably more comedy work. But I, I I was scrolling back through, and I was like, oh yeah, I remember that movie from like a TV movie. And so I just found it on the internet, and was like, I'm gonna watch this night. And he was really good, but it was. I'm glad you brought that up because it was funny. It was. It was strange to see him, you know, playing a guy that's introduced to James Dean and like starts to like, like want to mimic like what he accomplished in Hollywood. And they do, they do mention, I mean, that Dean just made three movies. Like they're, I mean, they're three classics, 
but obviously because of his untimely death, very short lived. But you know, Tommy's made this one thing, and also like he kind of achieved that. He's he achieved this very like small movie that he's he still. You know, he's shown up to Portland to sign autographs off this yeah. one thing he did. So, I mean, I'm by no means saying that he's, you know, he's accomplished being the next James Dean, but it is, it is cool. And it's, it was cool to see Franco sort of nod back to that because it's, that was basically when he got his start also in movies was playing. And he was also very good in that movie. I don't know if you've seen it, but anyone that's listening, I would, if you can find it, check it out. He's a really good, uh, really good performance in a TV movie. I'll have to check that out. But, um, have you seen Giant? The James Dean movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I've seen... It's pretty good. I've I don't seen, want to brag uh, that I've seen all three of his movies because I said it doesn't take that long to see... <laughs> you know, this is not... Uh, it's not Paul Newman. He didn't have decades on this earth doing that. But yeah, Giant, Giant's a... I mean, classics or Western uh, vibe. Um, I think my favorite, though, is probably uh, East, East of, of Eden. Eden. It's probably my favorite. Yeah, it's probably my favorite. Yeah, I've seen East of Eden. Um, and what's the other one? Rebel Without a Cause. Okay, I did it's see more that. Popular, yeah. Right, right. That's more popular for the poster and just for the jacket. I mean, right. it's just, yeah. Isn't that where he's leaning up against the wall with his foot back? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Giant, I think is the next one I'm going to have to watch. Um, all right, so let's, uh, let me see. What, what are some comparisons we want to get into? Um, you know, kind of like what we've been discussing in some of these past, uh, a few episodes with the, the, the newer releases that are, um, more actual remakes. You alluded it, uh, to it earlier that James Franco, he, uh, what he also does with this movie is he filled in some of the gaps. Um, I mentioned in my instant review that, um, you know, I, I felt that maybe he was watching the room and just kind of started writing down things that he's going to explain, you know, as to like, why is this part like this? Or at least just kind of like, um, you know, make a nod to, to something that, you know, maybe when people are watching the room, they question it themselves. Like, why is he humping her belly button? It would be it would be natural if you're a fan, just to be like, if you got the opportunity to ask questions, be it, you know, if you're a Star Wars fan, if you could talk to George Lucas as far as why was that decision made? Why did you do that with his character? Like, it's, it's totally natural. This one is a little more heightened because there's so much weird <laughs> stuff. There are weird decisions that were made uh, that it was, it was fun for me and my wife to, to watch this, like I said, the room the night before and for to be experiencing it for the first time. There are just so many odd things that, you know, this isn't just a bad movie, which is probably why it still, you know, holds up. It's it's a bad movie with very, like, strange decision-making involved because it, anyone can make a bad movie with terrible sex scenes, you know, but to have that one little detail, that's probably why it's lasting. And it, it did make the disaster artist fun. Uh, to see characters question Tommy as far as what was his thought process. And I don't think his answers are like really that revealing as far as what went into it. It's just for whatever, I don't know. I mean, did they explain it to you or did it just seem like a, that's just what this guy thinks is the correct decision? It didn't seem to make any sense to me. No, I don't think it made any sense. I, I think it's kind of... Other than he wanted to show his butt. He wanted his ass on screen. We got We got that. Clearly, yeah. And James Franco got to show his penis too, kind of. Yeah, that was uh not enough, not enough, not enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, they they hit it well, you know. Yeah, I I really liked him in the uh, the night before also. So you know, I I think James Franco is starting to be become uh more so, or more bankable, you know, than before. Uh, almost anything he does, I, I'm gonna want to go out and see it again or see. It. I didn't. 
I, I mean, I saw where this was. It, it's still not quite in wide release. I don't think it's, I think it's like an 800 on 800 screen. So it's not, you know, there's, there was a Morgan Freeman movie that came out that I think was on 2000 that bombed. So, you know, that's just to give you some perspective there. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I never thought that this would get a wide mainstream release, a disaster artist. I mean, as you said, yeah, it's a James Franco comedy and he had one, uh, like a Christmas family comedy with why him with Brian Cranston last year. But I just assumed with something this specific, I didn't know how they were going to sell this to the country. You know, a lot of people still don't know. They're not huge film fans or digging around for weird movies on the internet. And so I, I did wonder if this was going to play out because not everyone's going to know what this is about. You know, this is not, as I said, this is not a movie about the making of Star Wars, which everyone's like, Oh yeah, I've seen Star Wars. So, um, I don't know. I think he's just, Franco's just got a cool comedic sensibility. I think, I think a lot of people probably will just watch this, just seeing it as a James Franco comedy. And I think it'll work for him too. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the, the jokes are all pretty good. Even if you don't understand or not familiar with Tommy Wiseau's, um, uh, his, you know, his acting in the room, I, I think the quips, the, the one liners are, you know, they, they really hit. Um, uh, were there any scenes from the disaster artist? Um, I don't know. I, I guess what did you like the, uh, like seeing them kind of explain or just touch on about the room? You know, like the, you know, I like the, um, and this is in the trailer, so it's kind of spoiled, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the part where it's green screen and, um, Johnny comes out and the whole high Lisa, oh, a high mark scene, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And then, like, uh, we, we find out that Greg's like, here, use this water bottle. You know, it's going to add to it. So he explains mm-hmm. why he even has a water bottle in that scene. Uh, I think I, my, my favorite moment as far as behind the scenes uh, element is you're introduced to Seth Rogen as playing part of this this uh, film production company that, as you said, they can they rent out the equipment normally and said Tommy just decides to buy it and then – there's a moment with him, and I believe Paul Shear is the the other guy um, working at that company, and you they sort of go off and whisper to each other, and it's made clear that they've found someone like with money that they can possibly take advantage of, and so they they offer them a deal, which basically just puts more money in their pocket where they can film at their studio mm-hmm. and use their crew. Um, my favorite element of that, because as I said, my biggest concern with the room was the sort of the mean spirited angle of like just picking on someone who tried to put something out in the world. I, I love, and I'm sure they didn't, but in real life, I love how Tommy turns the tables or, you know, not knowingly, but they attempt to take advantage of this guy and his money. And then he proceeds to make their life a living hell while they're working on this movie with this. I, I felt like that was just desserts for those two guys that, they felt that they could just sort of push him around and they didn't really know who they were dealing with as far as his, his ego and just what his vision was on screen. Um, as far as behind the scenes, um, (laughs) probably the Tommy who's willing to spend all this money, but won't provide air conditioning or bottled water to the crew. Right. Where the mother-in-law just passes out as well. (laughs) Uh, and there's a sweet, (laughs) there's a sweet moment with that where they ask, um, and Jackie Weaver's a great, uh, actress, I believe from Australia. Um, who's playing the, the mother. And, uh, I I think it's Greg who asked why she's 
like someone her age who's already sort of accomplished and really doesn't need to hustle for work like he does. Like he's trying to get his name out there, trying to, you know, this is his first time like being filmed really in a big movie. Uh, why she does it. And she says something, um, like, you know, every day, every day on a movie set, like acting is better than any other day doing anything else. And that's what I liked about, I liked about the movie because you're watching this and you're wondering why would people put up with this nonsense? And it's because all these, these characters, you know, they, they're film freaks. You know, they have fascination with like being in movies and, I think anyone can understand that, especially if you're doing movie podcasts. I think there would be a lot you would put up with. I'm sure you would you would work with with Tommy Wiseau if he you know if he offered a, a gig, right? Of course, absolutely. I mean, even if it's just a bystander, you know, you would just be a random vampire character or something. Maybe I like, would be uh, Peter R. I don't know. <laughs> Peter R. Yeah, <laughs> it's the never drug dealer Chris R. Is just, <laughs> I, I like how they bring that up. Like, can I just call him Chris? I mean, why is it Chris R? Because his name is Chris R. Or something. I don't know. I thought that was really funny. Um, yeah, I, I do like that scene. Um, the what you're saying about the, the the actress who plays the the mother. Um, that you know, I'm like, okay, well, that that explains why she's on it. And I I, I think you know, asking. Um, that question being asked by Greg, you know, around other people, it kind of like, I think it ex- explains a lot. Uh, th- that may not have been how it went down, but at least that gives us some kind of clue as to maybe why they stuck it out, you know, as, as long as they right. did, um, going way past, you know, the, the, the shooting schedule. Um, one of the other ones I, I did like watching the, was the casting of Lisa, you know, going, th- uh, through all the different actresses. And how the Franco brothers were like, oh, here, uh, do it like this, you know, where they're trying to make her like lick the ice cream and like, oh, no, put it in your mouth. And I thought that was all kind of funny. Cowboy uh, thing, not being the confusion of oh, the cowgirl, being, the cowboy, yeah, cowgirl, do, do yeah. like a cowboy. And yeah, I, I thought I was all pretty funny. I'm sure they were all improv as well. Uh, yeah, just, just all, all of the little stuff like that. Um, you know, you mentioned the Josh Hutcherson character. Uh, that was pretty funny. I, he was a, a bit of a surprise to me, and that wig was really, really bad. But I was just—I um, guess I never really looked into the cast listing, seeing who was going to play Denny. But uh, I thought that was pretty funny, actually, uh, having him there. It made me just as uncomfortable as the actual Denny, Denny. in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah normally, when we're sort of wrapping, getting to the end of the show, you know, we we do like a possible third remake, which I don't. I don't think it's necessary. Like, I don't think we need another version of the room. I think, I think this sh- should put it to bed. This is sort of the definitive behind the scenes, uh, tale of that. Uh, but what's, you know, what's a film or, um, you know, something you would like to see recreated with the, with that sort of similar gimmick of like, here's how this was made or here's why this was made. Uh, it doesn't have to be a bad movie necessarily, but is there one that you just have questions about that you think would make for a cool movie on its own? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, I can't think of anything off the top. I mean, I'm trying to think of some type of uh, 80s, 90 movie that, you know, people just love, but it was not that good. I mean, and there's a lot of those, but nothing really comes to mind. I'm sure I would just recycle anything I've brought up, you know, on the show before, like The Heavenly Kid, you know, it. I, I think I have mentioned many times that it's not uh, great, but it's it has such great 80s music and it has a very good storyline. But I don't think it's um, bad enough where people would question, you know, why is this remade? I think people would be like, oh, okay, yeah, that movie probably deserves a, a good remake. You know, I think it has 
has a simple enough premise. Um, but I, I think, you know, if we knew more about like the hellacious production of certain movies, I think those are the ones that you want to remake or at least, you know, take this spin on it, you know, where we get the behind the scenes. Like a Justice League, like recently, Justice League, as far as having two different directors and yeah, changing it mid-year. I, I do have one in mind. Or even Superman 2, you know, they changed yeah. the directors there too. Um. This one is a little more successful financially, uh, but is uh, hated uh, pretty much uh, the world over. Uh, and I mentioned George Lucas earlier. It's uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I would very much like to see because that was something that was like decades in development with many different scripts. You had Frank Darabont um, contributing and a lot of stuff was just cast aside. And from what I've read, uh, a lot of the stuff people hated is George Lucas, his insistence that there be spoiler alert for this film, which came out, I don't know, just 10 years ago, almost at this point, um, that there would be aliens in the movie was pretty much he, his insistence. And I think that would be pretty interesting. And it would be a little bit different than the room in that you would be recreating uh, a film, as I said, was financially successful with Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Harrison Ford, like very famous people. Uh, going back to something that people loved and then producing something that was terrible. That's something I, I would love to hear the behind the scenes story and just, I think it would be fun to watch too, especially when you're, if they're, if, if to be, it's to be believed that Spielberg and Harrison Ford hated the alien stuff, just the idea that they were sort of forced to do it. I don't know. That, I think that has some room for, for comedy. Probably will never happen, but that's the one I would like to see. Yeah. Well, I, I guess if you um, take away the aspect of like a bad movie, I guess almost the first movie of any huge franchise, you know, where they didn't even think that it would uh, or expected it to per- perform as well as they did. For example, Star Wars, you know, like I, I, I remember. Or Pitch Perfect. Sure. You sure? Let's, let's put that up there, too. I'm just trying to imagine a behind the scenes movie on Pitch Perfect. Probably not as. Not as catchy, I'm sure probably not as marketable. Of, you know, during downtime, I'm sure they're all on their phones listening, you know, to their <laughs> iPods and practicing singing. But no, with Star Wars, like, you know, uh, I still haven't seen it yet, but I guess it, in one scene, didn't they, like, throw a shoe, you know, into the galaxy? And that was supposed to be some some sort of debris. But, um, and mm. I, I, I heard that, uh, Lucas also wasn't very pleasant to work with, you know, during the filming of that first one, A New Hope. Um, back to so the we're just future. we're just picking on George Lucas. Well, but back to the future. Also, you know how they started with uh, Eric Stoltz. I would love to see more of that. I've always wanted more of that. You know, more footage of him, more behind the scenes. You sh- show me the behind the scenes of that when they have an Eric Stoltz that's just not working out tonally, and then they're like, you know, here's this- a question for you. Yeah, who would play Eric Stoltz and who would play Michael J. Fox in this making of Back to the Future movie? Well, I've always loved uh, Anton Yelchin as a as a Marty McFly. I thought he would have been great, mm. you know, like a young yeah. An- Anton Yelchin. Uh, and the role of his that sold it for me was uh, Charlie Bartlett. I thought I thought he was great in there. Um, but we got uh, a trailer for a movie with him coming out. I guess it's his last movie before the Disaster Artist. Oh yeah, and that was, it was since it was a fairly crowded audience. You could actually you could like hear people like. Not grown like oh this guy, but just that sort of sad recognition, like oh man, like yeah, because he was just, I don't know, he just seemed like a great up and coming actor. Yeah, um, as far as uh, my, uh, Marty McFly, I really like Tom Holland, you know, as Peter Parker. Okay. I think he'd be a good Marty McFly. 
um, the Eric Stoltz version of Marty McFly. I I can't think of uh, anybody right now, but somebody you know who who takes it a little bit more seriously. That's young. Um, I mean, may, maybe even a comedic actor that that does it. I don't know. Maybe like a Michael Sarah. You know, he he's kind of a known to be comedic. But uh, what if we just had him? You know, play play serious. You know, or maybe he might be too old now. I guess. I'm just gonna go with Emma Stone as we usually do. As Red a, hair, sure. That's all that matters. But then you know, you might call uh, Robert Zemeckis sexist there for uh, you know getting rid of a female character to replace him with a lead, <laughs> uh, a male. How's how's that work though with making Lorraine like her daughter? You know, fascinated with the daughter. Is that is that what we're going with? We'll just slip it all. We'll Maybe just put Emma Stone genre. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I think that'll do it for Disaster Hours. I think we both recommend it to people, yeah. room fans, and a lot of fun. Non non room fans alike. I think it's it's enjoyable. And uh, uh, I'm kind of I, I read. I don't know if I initially agree with it that this is going to be an Oscar contender, but I am rooting for James Franco to get nominated for Best Actor because I, I think more comedic performances should be nominated, and he's great. I mean, he's he nails it. You. If you stay for the end, you get side by side comparisons, like sort of the post uh, as a credit start, and it's it is fascinating to see him how how close he got to doing redoing the room. It maybe it reminded me of uh, Psycho. I'm like, you know, they could have right. made a really cool um, Blu-ray extra feature if they just completely reshot it. Uh, and I mean, room fans, I think they would go nuts about it. But it was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, you can uh, interact with us on uh, social media, on Twitter, Instagram, at Original Remake. And uh, I am at War Machine Horse. And Peter, tell them where you are. Uh, I am at Podstalgic on Instagram and Twitter. If you you know, if you, if you guys want to check it out on Podstalgic, I did do a, uh instant reaction. And I thought it was very interesting just to hear John's perspective uh, on the disaster artist not having seen the room. So that was a, a nice, um, nice insight on his part, and I, I was actually really surprised when he said that. You know, I, I asked him if he'd be interested in watching the room now, and he said no. I, I, I thought that he might have been, you know, just slightly interested, but um, he has said he's not approved. But I do know that he's not, you know, a big fan of, you know, scenes like those sex scenes. And I told him that they kind of go on for a while. That it's so. That they go on for so long that it's a little unsettling to to even sit mm-hmm. through it, you know, just like Skidamax. Sure. So, um, and also not too long ago, I did a 25th anniversary review of Aladdin. If anyone wants to check that out, uh, but yeah, you can find me there, and also you can find other episodes of Original Remake at FollowingFilms.com with other great shows like uh, the True Romance Film Podcast, who also did an episode of the Disaster Artist. Don't need to listen to them; just listen to me. I have uh, shows on there, The Grand Gesture, and uh, what else? Marcus. I, there, there's. I will say this. Okay, I, I wasn't part of it, but I do know uh, Hiro sent to me there is an upcoming Mark S. Plate episode on The Disaster Artist, and I believe the topic will be ironic enjoyment. So it will be on people liking things um, that aren't necessarily good, and they recognize that. So look for that. That will be on followingfilms.com, and you know, subscribe to all these podcasts. I mean, we've got a – it got me and Peter everywhere, so you can you can have an entire playlist of just the crap we put out in the world. Yeah, yep. That's a hell of a that's a hell of a promo, isn't it? The crap it's, we put it, out in the is. world. <laughs> well, I mean, it's fitting for this for this uh, episode with you know the the crap movie and then the the nice you know companion piece to it. Thanks for picking me up. That was totally on purpose, not just me yeah. <laughs> belittling our own work. 
Uh, right. So, yeah, thank you for listening. All right. Bye, Mark. <laughs> you could put some shine upon my face. Sunshine in an empty place. Take me to down to and baby, make you stay. Oh, that was a lot of fun to see. Uh, now, did you stay to the very, very end? Oh no! no did okay. I miss something? I'm old, right. Peter. Yeah, well, Got you and home. I, you and I both missed something. Uh, <laughs> so after that was over, I went to go and use the restroom, and I, I uh, waited outside for for my buddy John, and he took forever to come out. And I go, he must be waiting for something at the end. And then, you know, like uh, five minutes later, he well, maybe not five minutes later, but he walks out. And I was like, did you stay to the end of the credits? He goes, yeah. I go, was there anything? He goes, oh yeah, there was like a three minute clip, you know, and. Apparently, it's just Tommy and James Franco, like, doing something. And I think uh, he said that uh, Tommy had, like, a mustache on or something. And I think James Franco was asked Tommy, and they were just doing something together. I don't know if they were improving or what. But he said it was actually pretty funny and worth the stay. You know what I think I'm going to do to our, our small amount of listeners? What's that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see who stays to the end of these, these podcasts. I'm going to put this, this entire segment right at the very end after the music plays. And we'll <laughs> see who the true fans are. Yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah, let's give it a shot. Let's, let's see if they hear that. <laughs> I don't know if we're in the position of power of like James Franco to make people wait to the end. But we'll see. So you're still here. Um, Tweeters. Peter has informed you. Yeah. Tweet. I don't know what the hashtag would be. But uh Sure. What, what do you want to be, Peter? I don't know. Do we want to send them something? <laughs> you got any free movies you could send them? <laughs> I, I've got some DVDs I've been getting rid of, but unfortunately I don't have the room. So, yeah, tweet us and see if we have an extra copy of something laying around, and we'll send it to you. Maybe we'll send you a free link to a uh, to, to streaming of the room. <laughs> <laughs> I do have that available because I had to go search for it. Not streaming currently. I thought that was a mistake on their part to not have it on Hulu or Netflix or something at this right. point. but. <clears throat> That's what you get. Free link. 